January 6th. Quite frankly, I was sick about hearing of January 6th all the way back in February, especially from the media, all of their lies, distortions, their hype, their omission. I am proud, though, that here on Newsmax, in one hour of this program, you will learn more truth about January 6th than in what the fake news could tell you in a year. I am very proud of that. Uh, And we'll talk about January 6th later. First, got to tell you something about New York City, this city right now. Um, It used to be one of the top tourist destinations in the country, but no, I have to urge you to follow Kamala Harris's advice, actually. Do not come. Do not come. All right. She was talking about some other place to some other people, but do not come to New York right now. No, that is from the bottom of my heart. You've got to avoid this town, at least for the time being, because we have some crazy people who are running the show right now and we don't know exactly what's going to happen. Now, that man taking the oath of office is the new district attorney for New York County, Manhattan. His name is Alvin Bragg. And he believes that this crime that you're about to see A man, an armed robbery, that if he should be arrested and if he should be convicted, he should not go to jail. Well, no one was hurt. No one was hurt. He just showed a gun. No one was actually hurt. Lowering that crime from a felony to petty larceny and no requirement, no recommendation even for prison. This is wild and this is happening in America. What about resisting arrest? You would imagine, I mean, I've heard this a million times. If you resist arrest, that's just going to make your situation worse. They'll charge you for this stuff. You can't resist arrest. Well, they won't prosecute you for resisting arrest. So to the criminals, why not resist arrest? What do you have to lose? Nothing. The office will not prosecute resisting arrest. It gets crazier from there. I mentioned last year, 2020, things were bad, even with a totally not insane prosecutor. All these folks, by the way, they just, nah, we're going to let this one go. Nobody was charged, but that was kind of seen as a one-time thing. You know, liberal prosecutors getting down with the Black Lives Matter movement, but now it's all official. Smash and grab robberies. Well, if uh, no one was hurt, no recommendation of prison, possibly no prosecution whatsoever. Oh, and obstructing governmental administration, no prosecution. Now, what is obstructing governmental administration? That's what they're getting the January Sixers on, all right? Now, this, I am told, is the worst thing that ever happened in American history, but if it happens in New York, no problem whatsoever. Um, Now, I'm sorry, this may make people more likely to come to New York, I don't know, prostitution. It's actually no joke. It's a horrible uh, lifestyle. And there are many victims that won't be prosecuted. That doesn't seem right. This guy is just making this stuff up as he goes along, it seems. Oh, fare evasion, not paying for the subway or for the bus. Now, that may seem like not such a big deal. It is. When people just ride the subway for free, we learned this all the way back in the 80s and 90s, That encourages crime. If they're going to commit a little crime, they'll be emboldened to commit a bigger crime. There's data to back this up. You know where some of this nonsense is coming from? Not just from the new guy, uh, Alvin Bragg, more on him in a moment. But yes, this lunatic. 
It's not a border crisis. It's an imperialism crisis. It's a climate crisis. It's a trade crisis. And also, it's a carceral crisis. Because as I have already said, even during this term and this president, our immigration system is based and designed on our carceral system. <laughs> now, carceral is uh, a word that the liberals like to use when they want to sound smart when they're talking about prisons and incarceration. So she helped bring on this nonsense. She, Soros, all those people. By the way, the new guy who's in charge of prosecuting in one of the most important counties in the world, New York County, take a look at this. Uh, in New York City, 8 million people live here, all right? 8 million people. How many do you think voted for this guy? 86,000 voted for Alvin Bragg. What percentage of New York City's population is that? 1%, just over 1%. It's kind of crazy. Now, granted, he ran for one county in New York where there are about 2 million people or so, but Manhattan is the center of it all, and people come in not only from all over the city, but all over the tri-state area, all over the country, all over the world. And 86,000 people allowed this to happen. Interestingly, they're gonna go full bore prosecution and full bore prison for public corruption. Now, I don't have a problem with that, but why wouldn't he take this, why wouldn't he reevaluate this? A lot of these folks don't pose a violent threat to the community because corruption means headlines often. For the fake news media, they just love that, um, especially if it's a Republican. All right, now this. Of course, black lives matter, but not the way the Black Lives Matter movement says. They only care when a black life is taken by a white cop. But what about all lives? And what about black lives when they take the life of a white cop, allegedly so? And it seems to be what happened here. Marlene Ritmanic, 49 years old, uh, gunned down. She was responding to a noise complaint about dogs barking. Her partner, Tyler Bailey, was seriously wounded. He was in surgery uh, just today. This all happened in late December, December 29th. Suspects in custody are these two individuals. Darius Sullivan on the left has a very long rap sheet. He has been arrested uh, 21 times in the past seven years, multiple times released without bail. Now listen to this part of the, uh, of the allegation, how this hero cop died. According to prosecutors, she was begging for her life when they shot her with her own gun. Sergeant Ritmanick was pleading with them to just leave. You don't have to do this. Please just go. They stood over Sergeant Ritmanick as she lay on the floor, already having been shot once. Darius Sullivan fired two shots from what we believe was Sergeant Ritmanick's service weapon, striking Sergeant Ritmanick in or about the throat and or neck. These things are happening. These things are happening. And it's not white supremacy or systemic racism that is bringing these things on. I hope Alvin Bragg, the new district attorney who does not have a mandate, 86,000 people voted for him in a city of 8 million people. By the way, we all have to get more aware and more active and more involved. These local elections mean something. I know you know that. Quite frankly, I have forgotten from time to time. We've got to be more vigilant. I'll be right back.
Rob Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's All I can say is, is that, that the, the fake, fake news just doesn't get it. Do they? they don't get it, Greg. They do not. All right. Kamala Harris, everybody knows she's a goofball, right? But I know something about her the fake news is not talking about too much. But first, the goofball part. <laughs> okay. How do you... All right, clearly, goofball. And the fake news is also reporting that she can't keep any staff uh, on her staff. They don't like her, and they're leaving. The fourth one left uh, just a little while ago. His name is uh, Evans. He's head of interdepartmental governmental affairs, some thingamajig. Anyway, he's the fourth guy, fourth high-level departure. Everybody says they don't like working for Kamala Harris. She's mean. She's nasty. This has been widely reported and documented. Um, but why all of the leaks and why uh, the departures? There's something else going on here. There is still resentment from Joe Biden himself and Jill Biden about how Kamala treated Joe during the campaign. So that's where the federal government must step now, in. That's why we have the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. That's why we need to pass the Equality Act. That's why we need to pass the ER. Unfortunately, Vice President Biden, you're just simply inaccurate in what you're describing. I think that you should really think about what you're saying, but be reflective and understand that the people of America want access to health care. What bothered you? Praising and coddling individuals who made it their life works and built their reputation off of segregation of the races in the United States. That's a problem. All right. Well, that's back when she was running for president and she thought she had a chance. And for a while, it looked like she might beat Joe, but she lost very, very badly. Um, But back then, do you remember when Joe got in trouble finally for touching everybody inappropriately? Well, uh, Kamala was dancing on his grave. It looked like he was dead politically. Do you remember this? So the question for you is, is somebody who has a relationship with Vice President Biden, what message would you give to the women who feel like their space has been invaded in the past by the Vice President? I believe them, and I, I respect um, them being able to tell their story and having the courage to do it. She believes women. I mean, kicking a guy when he's down. Uh, they remember this. It's one of the reasons why Jill can't stand her. Take a look at this picture. It says so much. Uh, Drop the banner, please. You'll see Jill's hands at her side. Kamala's trying to hug her. And uh, Jill is having none of it. And Jill has said worse out loud uh, behind the scenes. Take a look at this uh, quote from one of those campaign books. What with with what he cares about, what he fights for, what he's committed to, you get up there and call him a racist without basis, go F yourself. Jill Biden on Kamala Harris. That's pretty wild. So what's happening here? They want to hurt Kamala Harris. They want these people to leave her office because they don't want Kamala Harris running for president in 2024 or ever. 
and she is being mortally wounded with all this negative coverage. It's coming from the Bidens. Believe me. All right. Also this. January 6th. Hey, can we just clear this up about some of the people who were texting administration officials? They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't. Not Donald Trump Jr. and not Sean Hannity. So phony of these people. They're reading these texts. I mean, when they find a text from somebody that says, yeah, beat those guys up and take hostages and kill Mike Pence. Okay, that's that's a thing. But he was calling for peace. Everybody was calling for peace. Anyway, it's uh, it's all phony. It's all ridiculous. And the one who's really driving this, the ones, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, but first to Liz. As the violence continued, one of the president's sons texted Mr. Meadows, quote, he's got to condemn this ASAP. Donald Trump Jr. texted again and again, urging action by the president. Quote, we need an Oval Office address. He has to lead now. It has gone too far and gotten out of hand. There's nothing wrong with texting that stuff, okay? Nothing at all. Um, But she has been consistently misleading about what the president did on that day, Donald Trump. And uh, Adam Kinzinger has been outright lying. I mean, big time. Take a look. For hours we were sitting there, the president didn't say a word. The president of the United States who runs the military, the commander in chief, if he says a word, things happen. To me, that was beyond the pale. Well, beyond the pale, beyond the pale. What is that beyond the pale? Well, the president was speaking uh, every hour on the hour, it seems like. Speaking in Twitter form at 238-313, calling for peace, calling to respect uh, the cops, to uh, go home, and then out loud to a camera at 4.17 p.m. He's busted. But Adam, Adam, by the way, knows he got caught in this lie. That was in a documentary. So he's modifying his story and trying to focus on other stuff. We know that Donald Trump, quote unquote, this decisive president who's anything but, was sitting watching television for about 180 minutes while this was going on. The question, and I think the thing that will get to culpability, which I don't have an answer to yet, uh, the committee will get to, is what did he know prior to this occurring? Was he simply a spectator and something that shocked him uh, and indecisive? Obviously, his oath requires him to defend the Constitution, to defend things like the Capitol, and he didn't. Is that criminal? Is that criminal? Is that criminal? They had 1,800 cops there, and Donald Trump is supposed to do something from down the block. Is that criminal? You saw the statements that he put out that day. And I'll remind people, again, if you were watching TV on uh, January 6th, as I was, it really wasn't that bad. Even the fake news will acknowledge that what was on TV that day, it did not seem like the end of the world. I think it's really important to remember It didn't look as bad on TV as it actually was. And that's not the fault of any television network or any producer or anything. It's just most of the live shots were from far away. We didn't see inside the Capitol the horrible violence, the attacks against police. There were only a few of those videos that came out during the day. It took several days to reckon with just how 
violent this was, and then several weeks to learn about the security failures and all the rest. Took several weeks for that guy to figure out just how bad it was on the inside. Donald Trump was watching television. He probably did have it on in the office. He saw what we saw, the outside. Um, by the way, isn't it, has anyone noticed that suddenly the fake news, suddenly supportive of police, the police, the Capitol Police, who report to Congress and Congress is messed up so you can understand why this department would be messed up and maybe you could understand why the fake news would be so enamored with them. The Capitol Police are our heroes and they've been through a lot. Um, and it's sad. I was so proud of the Capitol Police. I think it was only because of the heroic actions of some of the Capitol Police officers, as well as the Secret Service and others, to try to get individuals out of harm's way. I saw Capitol Police risking their lives to try and save our lives. Dunn checks, I don't know if you can hear me, but he checks every box of tough that there is that we have. What does it take to, to yeah. talk about pain and vulnerability and sensitivity, yeah. strength? So yeah. God bless him for the message that he gave. It just... That's a little much, huh? And by the way, Metropolitan Police, none of those guys mentioned the Metropolitan Police. This guy, Hodges, you're about to see, was a member of the Metropolitan Police. And talk about a political savvy operator, huh? Uh, Here he is talking about, I think he's going to run for Congress someday, his injuries. The mob of terrorists were coordinating their efforts now, shouting, heave, ho, as they synchronized, pushing their weight forward, crushing me further against the metal doorframe. The man in front of me grabbed my baton that I still held in my hands, and in my current state, I was unable to retain my weapon. He bashed me in the head and face with it, rupturing my lip and adding additional injury to my skull. At this point, I knew I couldn't sustain much more damage and remain upright. Okay, bashed his face and head, uh, further injuring his skull, rupturing his lip. Let's take a look at him nine days after January 6th. This is nine days later. Um, What do you think, huh? I don't see any signs of a ruptured lip. Do you? Uh, Seriously, I mean, I, uh, one more time, take it full. Uh, There's nothing wrong with this guy. And I tell you what, he had fun that day. He had fun that day. If it wasn't my job, I would have done that for free. Yeah, it, was, it was absolutely my pleasure to crush a white nationalist insurrection. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm glad I was in a position to be able to help. So we'll do it as many times as it takes. We're not being told the truth. Something really sinister is going on. We'll be right back. The fake news, Democrat politicians, they love saying two things about January 6th more than anything else. Insurrection, deadly insurrection. You hear it all the time. Four Americans are dead after the deadly insurrection at the U.S. Capitol incited by President Trump. Deadly insurrection where a mob of Trump supporters stormed the Capitol. Uh, Donald Trump incited a deadly insurrection against the United States government. The president of the United States incited a deadly insurrection against America. And what is now a deadly insurrection that resulted in the deaths of five people. They pressed for details about uh, what Trump did to stop the deadly insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. 
All right, actually three things they love to say. They love calling it insurrection, an insurrection it was not. No one's been charged with that. It's actually a chargeable offense. It's not an insurrection, was not an insurrection. Uh, deadly, well, um, only one person, and they're not talking about her when they say deadly, only one person for sure died directly uh, as a result of January 6th, and it was Ashley Babbitt. The others they're talking about, and they're not mentioning Roseanne Boylan, by the way, police officers. Now, Brian Sicknick is different. Um, there were medical complications, but the coroner said it was not a homicide. They're actually throwing in suicides, trying to count suicides that, as tragic as they were, no one has established that they had anything to do with January 6th, but they still say it. We knew that two of the officers who defended our nation's capital on January 6th had died by suicide. That is the third officer to die by suicide since the attack. Tonight, we are learning another D.C. police officer has taken their own life. Officer Kyle DeFreytag is now one of four officers who has died by suicide after responding to the Capitol riot. Flags are flying at half staff for an officer killed while protecting lawmakers and now for another who's okay. believed to have died at his own hands while off duty. And officially, they're saying that these suicides are a result of January 6th. Um, they don't have the evidence to say that. They can't. Suicide's horrible. It happens for a lot of reasons. But now it's the policy of the United States government. They demonstrated to all of us and to our country what true courage looks like. Their resolve, their sacrifice, and their bravery protected thousands of people working inside the Capitol that day. Five officers who responded selflessly to the attack on January 6th have since lost their lives. I ask everyone to please join me in a moment of silence. I'm sorry, giving shout outs to folks who committed suicide well after the event. It's not been established that January 6th caused anything it's a very political statement. More on him in a moment. And the Capitol Police in general. Here's a big problem for these guys. They're great guys, most of them, but they report to Congress. They report to a legislative body. I think it's the only police department in the country that reports to a legislative body. We all know that Congress is screwed up. So in put to the test, January 6th. All right. Kind of makes sense. Although, you know who guards the White House? The Secret Service. And that, I believe, is under the Treasury Department, and they have a closer relationship with the White House, with the president. You know, there were terrible riots during the summer of 2020 right around the White House. And what happened? Well, they didn't penetrate the White House gates, did they? And Donald Trump had a warning. You know, at the time, I thought this tweet was over the top. But actually, I actually like it. This is the kind of message you got to put out. When you're defending, when you're defending the White House, hey, defending the Capitol, maybe Nancy should have done something like this. Nobody came close to breaching the fence. If they had, they would have been greeted with the most vicious dogs and the most ominous weapons I have ever seen. Yeah, that's a tough, unambiguous message. And I like it. I like it. Um, got something else to say about those cops, uh, the ones particularly who testified, the Trump haters. I really think they're lying, especially Dunn. You know, he's the only one saying this. He's surrounded by cops. Some of them are his friends, and no one's backing up his story. That prompted a torrent of racial epithets. One woman in a pink 
MAGA shirt yelled, you hear that, guys? This n voted for Joe Biden. Then the crowd, perhaps around 20 people, joined in screaming, boo, f No one had ever, ever called me a n while wearing the uniform of a Capitol Police officer. Yeah, I know. Remember seeing the video of that and the audio recordings? Totally shocking, right? They don't exist because it didn't happen. We all know that. And this guy, by the way, is kind of digging his own professional grave, it seems, at least in law enforcement. Nobody wants anything to do with him. There was some camaraderie, but then he went all political and woke and weird. What you do have with you is the strength and support of each other. And if you look on, you know, January 6th, um, January 7th last year, everybody showed up to work the next day um, because of each other. We had to be there for each other. I had to be there for my officers next to me, and they had to be there for me. So it was kind of like we were each other's crutches. Yeah, it's beautiful, but um, it's not adding up at all. And uh, I'd like to know more. And I think that silly committee, if it had any integrity, would be asking about the cops who beat up Victoria White. Victoria White, protester. See the cop with the white shirt? He's beating her head. Have you heard about her? No. How about these cops who just stood there as an individual begged for help? Why are you letting this happen? Yeah, why, the, why were they just standing there? What's going on? These questions have to be answered. And one more. Who are the cops beating up this person who is completely subdued and they're just beating up on him? Rodney King style. You see this? You got four or five cops right on top, punching, wailing away. Why haven't I seen this part covered? Hmm? A lot of dishonesty out there and so much media hypocrisy. We'll be right back with... One of the great figures in American law enforcement, the former police commissioner, the longest serving commissioner in New York City history, Ray Kelly, my father. If you're in New York City and the cops want to arrest you, you might as well uh, resist arrest, make a run for it. Because if you get away, well, there's that. And even if you don't get away, if they actually arrest you, don't worry, you're not gonna be charged with anything. Yeah, so go for it. And that's what criminals are doing left and right. Obviously don't follow my advice. I've been speaking rhetorically, but that is the new policy from our new crazy district attorney in New York County. His name is Alvin Bragg. He is brand new on the job. And yes, he is no longer going to prosecute uh, resisting arrest, prostitution. Armed robbery will not necessarily mean a prison sentence. It is totally crazy. It seems like it could totally change the game of life here in New York, which is already going downhill after eight years of de Blasio. 
I'd like to bring in the former police commissioner of New York City, the longest serving police commissioner in New York City history. If you add it up, 14 years as the top cop. He also happens to be a former Marine and my father, Ray Kelly. Welcome back. Uh, how are you? Ray Kelly, great to be with you always. Many thanks. So uh, these ideas from our new district attorney, they're not just ideas. These are policy memos, directions to his prosecutors to not seek jail where jail used to be automatic, to not charge when charging used to be automatic. Can this last? What's happening here? Well, it's actually incredible. You know, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office has been a model for district attorney offices, not only in the U.S., but throughout the world. You had Bob Morgenthal there for 40 years. Before that, you had Frank Hogan for 30 years. It was always a bastion of integrity, and it had the best people working there. Unfortunately, what's happened is Mr. Bragg has abdicated his responsibility to us, to the citizens of Manhattan, by the way, which, which I am and, and you am. It's an invitation to commit crime. And there's no reason for it. I read the memo. His memo starts off with saying he had guns pointed at them and someone was shot on the street in, in front of his, his house, that sort of thing. But there's no rationale for, for doing this. He was not elected king. <laughs> he was elected district attorney. It, this, this is ludicrous uh, uh, taking of prosecutorial disc discretion to the extreme. And it's certainly unwarranted. And I think it makes us all, certainly in, in Manhattan, a lot uh, less safe. And uh, Manhattan, you know, people come from all over the world to be in New York City. And people come from all over... By the way, you mentioned he wasn't elected emperor. He was elected D.A., but this is astounding and is very peculiar here in New York. Eight million people live here. It only took 86,000 people to make him district attorney for Manhattan, and that is 1% of the overall population of New York City. This is a very peculiar place politically where uh, you can kind of you can kind of fool 1% of the population to believe just about anything and presto, we've got a radical nut job as DA. Yeah, right. People are not voting. Uh, the numbers are very small that elected de Blasio, very small also that elected uh, Eric Adams. People are not turning out to vote. And district attorney elections are notoriously under the radar screen. And we know for this election that George Soros donated a million dollars to uh, Mr. Bragg. And a million dollars is serious money for a district attorney's uh, election. So uh, George Soros is very clever. You know, he's done this in other parts of the of the country. And what's happened after the DAs have gotten into office is that assistant district attorneys have voted with their feet. They have left the office. And that's what I think we'll see in New York County as well. We saw it in Philadelphia. We see it in Los Angeles, I think it's going to happen here. Uh, the Democrat Party obviously has gone way far left. It wasn't always that way. You mentioned Mr. Morgenthal. You worked with him. You were commissioner uh, when he was district attorney. I think we have a photograph of you two together. He was a, a great man, a hero, World War II uh, hero. I think he survived a submarine attack. It was crazy. You also worked right. with uh, Cyrus Vance as well. These are Democrats, but... For the most part, you know, they did believe in law, criminal justice, 
penalties for doing things wrong. This is, uh, this is a radical departure from anything you've seen. Absolutely. This is way to the extreme. I mean, we're, all, we're even talking about armed robberies being made misdemeanors instead of felonies. Go into a store with a gun, do a robbery. As long as someone is not seriously hurt, the district attorney is saying this should be charged as a misdemeanor. This is absolutely absurd. And I, I don't think we can we can live with this. I don't think he's going to be able to sustain it, quite, quite frankly. There'll be too much pressure as crime goes up in, in Manhattan to, uh, to allow this to happen. Um, by the way, you brought crime down. And uh, when you left office in 2013, it's incredible. This city, an overwhelmingly Democrat city, very diverse ethnically, racially. You had a, let's take a look at this. Quinnipiac, one of the most prominent polls in the country, had you at 75%, 75 percent of the people approved of the job that you were doing as police commissioner. Those are pretty astounding numbers. Um, what changed? You left in 2013, the end of 2013. It seems like kind of everything changed in our in our society. What do you what do you what do you chalk it up to? Why? Why, why is everything well, so different? Eight years. Well, as far as New York City, I think the Blasio was the major reason why the city started to go downhill. It started to go downhill quickly uh, after he got into office. It almost seemed like he enjoyed seeing what was happening. Crime went up, you know, after the George Floyd um, death, that uh, homicides went up in this country, 30 30 percent, a record high for one year. We never had anything that uh, that high in New York City. We had a 100% increase in shootings. So uh, I think, as I say, a lot of things changed, but I think in New York City, Mayor de Blasio was the prime mover for uh, New York going back to the, to the 70s. Well, uh, we have to remain vigilant. And if you want to learn more about Ray Kelly and his life and career, you can read his book. It happens to be called Vigilance, and I <laughs> highly recommend it. I appear on a page or two. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. Ray Kelly for being here. And, uh, oh, we can also learn about your service in Vietnam. We got about 30 seconds left. Hey, I, I quite frankly, I've never asked you this. Uh, you were in Vietnam for about a year. You saw a lot of combat. Um, is it something you think about every day or can time go by? And how often do you think about your experience there? Not often, quite frankly. Hmm. Uh, you know, my Done a lot of things uh, since then, and uh, it was a great experience. Uh, I think the Marine Corps is just a terrific institution. I learned so much from my time in, in it, and that was uh, certainly one of the best decisions I ever made to join the Marine Corps. Yeah, mine too. And thanks and you to you. Too. <laughs> well, I, don't, <laughs> I wouldn't have made the decision without your, uh, your encouragement. Thank you very much, Ray Kelly, my father. To be continued, sir, many thanks. Thank you, Greg. All right, great. we'll be right back. Well, another controversy about January 6th. How will it be taught or how is it being taught in schools to our children? Guess what? It's already taken a liberal slant. The AP reports one teacher says it is fair to draw parallels between what happened on January 6th and the rise of fascism. Hey, hey, hey. How about this uh, materials? Uh, let's see. Provided by PBS. 
warm-up questions for your class. Why did Trump supporters seek to forcefully disrupt the counting of the electoral votes? When and where did the insurrection take place? Yep, this is uh, this is liberal teaching in America, but not everybody's comfortable with this. Thank goodness. I'd like to bring in Tina Deskovich. She is a co-founder of Moms for Liberty. She is a former school board member uh, in Brevard County, Florida, and also Tiffany Justice, co-founder of Moms for Liberty. She served on the school board in River County, Florida. Welcome to you both. How are you this evening? We're great. Thanks for asking. Thanks so much. Listen, Tina, first to you. Um, how should January 6th be taught in school? I mean, it is a controversial issue. People have differing views on it. You know how I feel, probably. How should it be taught? I think it's a little bit of a complicated issue. As we know, uh, test scores on civics in America are dismal at best. I think 24% of American students are civics. And that's, that, those scores have not gone up in the last 20 years. So explain to me how the teachers that have kind of been trained up in the last 20 years are going to teach civics properly to our children today uh, when they can't even get the basics of their constitutional rights. How are they going to understand what happened on January 6th if they don't even understand the, the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights? You know, and Tiffany, why leave it to the teachers? I mean, look, kids have phones today. Uh, we can read newspapers. I remember when I was in school, current events was something you may or may not have done in social studies. I mean, it's not part of the core curriculum. Maybe we shouldn't teach it altogether and just uh, focus on the Constitution and history and the basics. What do you think? Well, I'd like for America's teachers to get back to teaching reading and civics, but I think there, there is a place for current events to be taught and discussed in school. But what we would like to see is teachers leaving their political bias and their beliefs out of that discussion. Um, January 6th is a complicated day, and it's something that I think it's fair to discuss with children, but I like to talk about lemonade moments. I think it's an opportunity to really talk about what makes our constitutional republic special and important. Our children need to learn that they have the right to assemble peacefully and to have their voices heard. Um, and so I don't want this to discourage you know, future um, children and people in America from standing up and speaking out. You know, um, if you listen to the fake news, they do a couple of things all the time. They call it a deadly insurrection, and they're talking not about Ashley Babbitt, and they use that insurrection word. They're not using it um, appropriately. I can't imagine many teachers, I mean, look, people are all over the map politically. I can't imagine them ever agreeing on one thing, or maybe, Tina, we say, okay, we'll teach it from the conservative uh, perspective for 20 minutes and then the liberal perspective for 20 minutes. Is that a compromise? No, that's not a compromise and it's not acceptable. Neither of those point of views should be brought into the classroom, to be honest. There are, there's so much to learn on the basic principles of what America was founded on, why we were created, why the Constitution was written the way it was, why the Bill of Rights was absolutely necessary to be put in place. Tiffany's absolutely right. I mean, they need to understand they have a right to assemble. They have a right to bring their complaints to their government and they need to understand that. And that's what the teachers need to focus on. Um, you know, we have chapters all over the country with Moms for Liberty. 
liberty. And our moms are forming and are forming groups and, and going to school board meetings and having rallies. And after January 6th, they had concerns and watching everything unfold with due process not being followed and some other things happening in our country, they're starting to question, is it okay for us to go and assemble? Absolutely. And we need to make sure that people understand those rights and our children understand those rights. And it's the teacher's responsibility to make sure, along with parents, of course, to make sure that that's taught in the classroom too. All right. Well, look, can you teach those things without going to January 6th? I could talk about January 6th all day. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but Tiffany, it is a divisive issue. Maybe it shouldn't be, but I think you can talk about the, the, the principles that Tina advocates and we all advocate, freedom to assemble, freedom of speech, all that stuff, without talking about January 6th. Is that, is that a possibility? I think it is a possibility, but I think, you know, I watched you with your dad in the last segment. And what I would tell you is, is that children are seeing lawlessness all over this country, right? And we saw the riots that happened over the summer. And we saw the chaz where people decided they were going to, you know, live without laws in, in Washington. So to me, I think it's an important moment to, again, reinforce with our children what makes America special, what rights and freedoms we have. As parents, we have natural rights to direct the upbringing of our children. And I would pivot back. Parents, you need to be talking to your children, too. You know, what you mentioned with PBS, what they're showing, that is in our schools. That is government funded, but is also being used as teaching tools in our schools. So parents, you need to be aware of what's being taught and you need to work to counteract that at home. Tina, anything I'm missing here? Final thoughts? Final thoughts are we hope that everyone will go visit our website at momsforliberty.org and, and gather with us, gather with those in your community so that we can push back and fight back against this indoctrination. Our moms are finding all of this stuff in their children's backpack and we cannot stand for it. We just cannot. I love it. Hey, by the way, have you felt a shift after Merrick Garland came out and talked about, well, he, he sent a letter to the FBI, basically, and civic minded people like you. Some interpreted this as a, as a warning shot. Did that kind of upset you? Did that trouble you, Tiffany? Did when that letter went out to the FBI of all places? Absolutely. And I think that that was an effort to chill speech much as my, this is as well. And so, yeah, I mean, there is no doubt that our moms saw that come out, the NSBA and the DOJ. Merrick Garland still has not walked that back. It, 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 are moms in America the face of domestic terrorism? I do not think so. So I think we need to put these issues into perspective. We need to teach our children that violence is never the answer to resolve conflict. Right. And we need to come together as Americans on, and embrace the principles of liberty and freedom today. Um, boy, I, I could go for a civics class right now. Thank you both. Uh, thank you both very much. Tina Deskovich and Tiffany Justice, momsforliberty.org. Check it out. We'll be right back. Bye-bye. Country was made by tax rebels, freedom fighters, gold seekers, believers, lovers, and true patriots. We're Newsmax. And we're their heirs, and so are you. Newsmax TV, real news for real people. Tonight at 9 o'clock right here on Newsmax, documentary about what happened on January 6th. We're very proud of it. It looks very good. I've only seen a couple of clips. It's called Day of Outrage, and so far I'm very impressed. Tonight at 9 o'clock, looking forward, so many things about January 6th have not been shared with the public very important to have this conversation and not let it be dictated by the left. Thanks for watching that show and this show. We'll see you tomorrow night. Thank you.